This is Eric Luton, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellersley.com to learn more. Technically, I am jumping ahead of myself. I always like to allow things to form within me, especially when I get that one nugget. Every now and then in my pursuit of Christ, I'm going to get a nugget. And I'm going to get something that I feel is so significant that I I want to just hold it for a while and hold it up in the light and study it. And then, you know, maybe after a few months, I will unveil it after I've been able to chew on it and work it over. In this case, uh, I feel like I'm rushing uh, the process a little in uh, giving birth to this message. At the same time, I I feel I I should. I, I, I preach on precisely what I feel the Spirit of God is leading me to preach on. And so right now, this is a significant burden. It's going to be fascinating to see how you guys respond to it, because for me, it's like this this critical dimension of my life that I'm trying to work over. It's it's hard until I get into it to, to explain it. But this past week, on Monday, I had a man come to Ellerslie. We met in the lake house uh, next door. His name was Dan Brocky, still is, by the way. So, <laughs> and he is the president of Bethany International, and so, which is over. Many of you know Bethany Global University because we've had various students that have gone there. And so, this guy's sort of over that operation. And I was impacted and moved by a few different moments in the conversation. Because I felt like, you know, my vision is this capital C church, and I want to be a defibrillator. I want to see that which is uh, beginning to die come back to life. I see a church that is waning, and I have a burden to see it once again sponsored, once again uh, just brought back to a state of vitality and strength. And then if you were to ask, for what purpose? I would say, well, for the glory of God, but there's, is the, for what purpose do you bring the, the church to its full life? And that's sort of what Dan just brought up without even knowing sort of what's going on inside of me. He just gave the, the mission statement for what they're doing at Bethany, Interna- Bethany International. I don't even know that I'm going to get this exact, right? But it's something like this, bringing Jesus where he is not. I was like, huh. And for some reason, that really struck me. You know how you can hear words your entire day, your entire week, your entire month, and nothing stands out? For some reason, that struck me, even though I can't remember the exact phraseology of it. But they go where Jesus is not. And you want to know how dark it is where Jesus is not? In other words, those are the hardest places on earth. And so it's typically called unreached. And so that's the word that most of us know, unreached people groups. And so where Jesus is not. And there was this one statement. He talked about this man that joined the board. or I don't remember the exact story because I was lost in one piece of it. And the guy came in and he sort of walked around the room and stuck his long bony finger in everyone's nose and said, if we're going to talk like this, we have to live it. And so this guy moved to New Delhi. 
And I think as Dan Brockie said it, if I could get the quotation correctly, something like, to go live on the dangerous edge. And so whether or not that's exactly the phraseology that was used, that's what's been in my head the entire week. Now, if you look at the name of this new series that I'm launching, it's called The Dangerous Edge. So this could be a dangerous series for you to participate in, right? And yet there's something stirring within me, and I am calling this first message The Game on the Dangerous Edge, which really is a fun title. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Eric Ludi, I love titles. Titles are almost more important than the message to me because... They're the placeholder. It's like the bucket I stick the message in. So I'll remember the title for decades and then you know, say, oh, that was a good, good message. I don't remember what the message was, but I remember the title. And then I'll dump out the, the message. Oh, that's really good. See, if you're going to have a good title, you have to have a good message to match it. There's nothing worse than having a good book cover and a bad book inside, right? My, I used to judge a book by its cover. I don't know if any of you are known for doing that. But uh, so I, my logic was this. If you have a good book, you better have a good cover, okay? It's a waste of a good book to put a bad cover on a good book, right? And my mom used to always get upset about that. Eric, there's a lot of good books with bad covers. It's like, well, then they should redo the cover. Uh, and so that's why you always see me want to cover my messages with a good book cover, okay? And so the game on the dangerous edge. So as we go into this, I just want you to prepare your soul to move further away from your comfort zone than maybe you've ever thought. And this is just as much for me. I live in America, and even though I live a rather you know, challenging life in America, standing for what I stand for and proclaiming what I proclaim, compared to most, most Christians that have gone before us in history past, this is nothing, this is easy, in fact, all of our grand complaints about, oh, we're going to lose civil liberties, look what's happening in our country, we still have it better than any country maybe in world history, even right now. And so we need some perspective on this, and we need to be groomed for true Christianity. And I'm going to emphasize that, true Christianity, the real thing. And so the game on the dangerous edge. The gamification of Christianity. Choosing to make suffering... <clears throat> fun. Now, could you imagine just for a second that that was possible? Imagine if suffering could be deemed fun. What does your future look like no matter how dark it gets? You see, one of the reasons many of us forebode and fret and are anxious about what's going to happen is because we do not consider difficulty, trials, challenges, tribulations fun. They're the exact opposite of that. They're what we need to avoid at all costs. But hypothetically speaking, as we start out this message, what if it were possible to change your entire perspective on the idea of suffering to the point where you got a little giddy and excited about it? It's like, mom and dad, when can we do that again? That was so much fun. And I think of the Incredibles, you know, when they're dropping from that, uh, I don't know, some plane is carrying their, their van and they're falling all the way down and then they're going to flip all over the place. And then Dash is like, that was so much fun. Yeah, kind of like that. That's the sort of thing we're talking about. Now, right now it's in theory. The gamification of Christianity. Now, the guy that's talking to you turns everything into a game. If you've ever done anything with me, where say, uh, remember Nathan, when we were, we were signing books, wasn't it? And we had like 700 books to sign. So I 
turn it into a game. Somehow, some way. So we had some kind of competition. I don't know what it was, but we, what was it? Push-ups and squats. <laughs> Push-ups and squats. How, do, how is that fun? Uh, and yet everything, like when we're moving and I'm packing a, a, a vehicle, I'm always going to start giving points. It's like, okay, when you get a box and you're going to stick it in, if, it, if before you stick it in, you have to announce it, that you're going to try and stick this box into that small spot. If you get it in, you get a point. If it doesn't fit, you lose a point. It's high risk packing, okay? And then so we'll collect points and usually Eric adapts the rules so that somehow I can get the advantage in it, like some great skill I have will help me in the game. So if any of you have played a game with me, you, you notice that there's something going on. Eric is, that's all part of the game too. It's part of the fun of the game. But I turn everything into a game. And so the gamification of life is basically a summary of Eric Ludi, right? However, the gamification of suffering is it possible? So the wall sit, it looks sort of like Wall Street. It's not. It's the wall sit. And it's two very different approaches. So Dwight Schubert uh, was sharing with me this idea of what they do in the military to sort of discipline. And their form of discipline in the military is a little different than what many of us as parents have thought of. And it's called uh, giving a smoke or smoking someone. And so a smoke session is different than a, like a you know, puff type of a thing. It's actually extreme physical exercise and to the point where your body is burning so intensely that you never want to do that thing again lest you end up getting smoked again, okay? And so I decided to try this out. I had some uh, rascally behavior going on in the Ludi home and I decided that I was going to uh, try with a little physical discipline being added in as opposed to, you know, the, the, there's various styles of discipline. We all have, if we're parents, we've been very creative over the years of trying to figure out what works. What's the trigger with our child that causes them to go, I will never do that again, right? And so this was, one el illustration of it was the wall sit, okay? So let's imagine one of my children, which is, is a very true story. I'm just uh, protecting identities. Uh, but one of my children had done something rascally and inappropriate and wrong. And so they were getting smoked. And part of the smoke uh, was that they have to do a wall sit. Okay. Now, if you've ever done a wall sit, they're not actually that enjoyable. Okay. In fact, they're a form of torment, right? And it's funny how many of us will go to a gym and do something like that. What are we doing? Why, why would we ever go and pay a membership fee and go into a back room and do a wall sit? Who in their right mind would ever do that? Who would join a sport and go and do a wall sit? And yet we do it all the time. Why? You see, when it's part of a game, when it's part of a sport, you can endure it with a very different lens than when it's part of discipline. When it's part of discipline, you should have seen this. It was so fascinating. And I don't know that it was as fascinating for my kids as it was for me. Uh, but this child that is being smoked uh, with a wall sit is uh, falling to pieces. Uh, you know, flailing about, miserable, crying. You know, you would think the world was coming to an end. How much longer? Right? And then next to that child was one of my other children that thought it looked fun. And they're like, how much longer can I do this? How long do you think I can hold it, Daddy? They're right next to each other, okay? This incredible contradistinction between attitudes and approaches. If you are being disciplined and it's a form of correction, it's miserable. But if it's an opportunity and a game, it's a lot of fun. So there we go, right there. 
So game, I'm gonna give you a definition from dictionary.com. A form of play or sport, especially a competitive one, played according to rules and decided by skill, strength, or luck. So I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking about this, a spiritual game. You see, this isn't the sort of game where you, you know, have a board out in front of you and you have your piece and then you roll some dice. This isn't that sort of game, but it's a game. It's a sport. It's an athletic event. It's sort of hard to describe until you catch the vision. And once you do, it's like a big smile creases your soul. So a spiritual game, it's a form of inward mind play or mental sport, especially one involving a a heaven-minded approach to trials, tribulations, difficulty, and human suffering. It's mind play. It's a game. Like when you do a Sudoku puzzle, what, it, what kind of a game is that? It's, it's a game, it's a puzzle, right? But it's a mind game. And that's sort of the way the Christian life is. It is an exercise of your inner man to solve a puzzle, to overcome an obstacle, clock ticking. You have to respond to it. You could either be miserable in that, or for most of us, if it's a game, we actually really enjoy it. Now, there's certain games, granted, we don't enjoy, right? And there's certain exercises that all of us struggle with. Like, for instance, I worked out extremely hard as an athlete growing up. And there's certain exercises I really liked. It's almost like a pleasant pain. And then there were certain exercises I hated because it was like an, an, a very uncomfortable pain. For instance, there was an a, a exercise called a hack squat, where you're on an angle, on a bunch of weight on you, and you need to go down on an angle like in a squat. It was so miserable, that exercise, and some people loved it. The same exercise, this other guy's, oh, let's do some more hack squats. It's like, get me away from hack squats. Yet, push-ups, I love push-ups. I love push-ups. They're my favorite exercise. And some people are like, you love push-ups? Yeah, it's a funny, weird reality, isn't it? The same thing is true in Christianity. We all have different angles on our soul that we actually have it's like a pleasure pain it's like this is sort of fun and we have other ones that are really hard the doctrine of spiritual sports god commands us to flip our difficulties on their back and pin them to the mat and force them to cry out i'm sorry i ever messed with you see that's our goal is that every trial that comes our way Every demonic temptation, every uh, challenge that the enemy wants to hurl at us, guess what? We want to flip it. We want it to cry out for mercy and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I messed with you, oh, Christian. That's what we're after, guys. This is part of the game. The essence of the heart-mind attitude of the Christian is that of an athlete vigorously engaged in the arena before a great audience of witness. I don't know if you've ever, see, before the Truman Show ever came out, which was one of those movies where, you know, the whole world's watching one guy's life, I actually thought my life was being watched. I I pictured a movie theater with a whole bunch of elderly ladies in it that obviously didn't have anything better to do, right, than watch my life. And so I, you know, it had an interesting effect on me when I was growing up because I remember, you know, you're about to do something devious and you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I got a whole bunch of old ladies watching me. It was really weird, okay? Now, hopefully we can grow into the reality, which is the fear of God. God is watching everything we're doing, right? However, it was a fascinating thing because everything I was doing mattered. And if you were to actually have that lens to understand that this great cloud of witness is actually observing this combat, this athletic adventure that you're on. 
And some of us aren't even trying. We're just laying down and being bulldozed as opposed to engaging in the battle. You've been given weapons of warfare that are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And all of heaven leans in to see how you're going to wield those. You see, it's an attitude of mind towards the challenge that we've engaged in. So let's just go through just a few scriptures, right? 1 Peter 1, 6 through 8, we are grieved by many trials. Uh-oh, stop right there. When you're grieved by many trials, what's, what's your attitude right now? Grieved, that's not a good word, right? By many, the word many is a very dangerous one to stick in there. Trials. Okay, that's just one bad statement right there. Grieved by many trials. And yet, how does God tell us to handle it? So in 1 Peter, you're going to see a flip on the situation, and yet we greatly rejoice. We rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's as if the very first part of that sentence is, yes, and we were forced to do wall sets. And yet, we greatly rejoiced. You see, this is a flip. It's a mental sport. It's like, I'm going to enjoy this. Matthew 5, 11 through 12, we are reviled, persecuted, and falsely accused. Stop. So just look at the front end of that. We are reviled. I don't know if you've ever been reviled. It's not a very pleasant experience. Persecuted and falsely accused. Okay, that's a pretty strong, stout list of bad things. And yet, blessed are we, let us rejoice and be exceeding glad. You guys catching it yet? We'll, we'll keep going. Maybe you'll start to catch it as, as we get going here. First Peter 4, 12 through 13, we are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Stop. Oh, that just sounds bad. I mean, have you studied Christ's sufferings? <laughs> They're not easy, right? These are hard things. And yet, we may be glad with exceeding joy. Okay, guys, we're doing wall sits all afternoon. Could you imagine having that be an announcement? We're gonna do wall sits all afternoon. 10 minutes on, one minute off, all afternoon. I mean, I'm starting to feel pain in my uh, quads before we even start. Just the thought of it is enough to burn out your quad. I mean, how could anyone survive that? And yet, could you imagine, here's the other person who's like, oh, that's gonna be good. That's gonna be good. It's probably someone that enjoys wall sits. Probably someone who's really good at wall sits too, because they know that everyone else is gonna fall over and they're still gonna be standing going, yeah, I won! And yet we may be glad with exceeding joy. 2 Corinthians 7.4 We enduring tribulations and yet we are exceeding joyful. James 1.2-4 We face trials and testings and yet we count it all joy. This is a different sort of mentality than most of us have engaged in in our life. If you take the first part of each one of those statements that I just went through and you test and measure your Christianity against it, most of us is like, and I was grieved, I was depressed, I was discouraged, I was frustrated. But that's not how a Christian behaves. A Christian appropriates the most challenging situations with a completely different mindset. It's one of triumph. We approach a challenge with a smile. So flipping trials, it's sort of like the, the judo move. 
you know, big huge trials coming at you and you smile because you know the move, you know how to counter it. Now I'm not one of those judo guys, you know, that knows how to do that, but we'll use our imagination. I'm a Christian, so I know how to flip it in a spiritual sense, but in the physical, I don't know how to show you what it looks like to go and then the big huge fat trial ends up down on their back going, oh, hey, hey, what'd you do to me? And you're like, yeah, you mess with a Christian, that's where you end up, right there. You see, we've been given the judo moves. It's called weapons of warfare. We've been given all that we need for life and godliness. Everything that is required to do the flip, running circles around tribulation. So everyone else, tribulation comes like, oh, oh no, no, I can't believe it, we have tribulation. Do you guys remember the movies in the 70s? This is gonna date you a little. If you remember all the end times movies in the 70s, they would always portray Christians as screaming and yelling, oh, and they're being led to their death and they're screaming. That is so opposite of Christian history. Christian history is a whole bunch of Christians that are praising and worshiping and glorifying God all the way to the end, and that's what changes the world, is the Christian smiles during the wall set. And the rest of the world's screaming and crying out, going, oh, this is so miserable. And the Christian's like, how much longer do you think I can hold it? Oh, this is incredible. Oh, it's burning, but oh, this is good. Just imagine how strong we're gonna get out of this one. It's a completely different mindset that we tote into battle. Pinning difficulties to the mat feels really good. If you're a wrestler, you know how good it feels when you get that pin and you know you've got them and they can't move. That's a thrill and that's precisely what we as Christians have. We can have difficulties in our life, but it's under us. It is not over us, it's not bowling us around. We have authority over these things. So you might as well get a big smirk on your face and pin it to the mat. Springboarding off of pain. Yeah, pain is not the most pleasant thing, but you might as well leverage it into a deeper, more intimate walk with God, into a more robust picture of his love, leveraging every challenge. See, most of us are just wasting our good challenges. We have some wonderful challenges in life, and we're bemoaning them instead of leveraging them. The parkour mindset. So I've had a couple different uh, kids of mine that wanted to get into parkour. And when they first said it, I was like, park, uh, park, uh, park, or, I mean, I had it all, I could not figure out what this was. It's like, what is parkour? I remember Leslie went and checked out this one gym for parkour. She was like, I think you'd like this. Uh, and so then I looked into it, I was like, I would like that. But it's like, it seems like all these young kids that are doing it, I like, feel awkward me jumping in there. Uh, they're like one of those dads with wh bright white legs and, you know, the short, uh, every, everything about it just didn't fit my mindset. But Look at, this is what parkour, parkour is by a general definition, how to get from here to there in the most creative way. And so you don't just run a straight line. If, if I was gonna get to the back of this room, I would do a flip over a couple chairs, probably pick up one chair and you know, dangle over the side of one and balance on the edge. And I'd do a flip, run over, I would do it the hardest way possible for the most thrill. Isn't that interesting? A parkour athlete looks for difficulty, that's part of the thrill. And so I was pondering that as I was going into this message. There's an entire sport that has been developed based on the same mentality that a Christian is supposed to have. So let's look at this. Go out and look for obstacles. It's funny, when, uh, when Hudson and Harper were in parkour, 
everywhere they went, they would look at a wall, you know, and sort of want to swing over it. And uh, they'd look at a tree. It's like I could jump up into that tree and flip over like this. It's like everything is, most of us are trying to avoid these obstacles. It's like we're looking for the straightest line possible. The parkour athlete isn't looking for a straight line. They're looking for challenge. It's like opportunity is what it's called to them. Opportunity to do some flips and, you know, to float around a little and to risk your life. That's basically what a parkour athlete is doing. So go out and look for obstacles. And when you find one, turn it into an opportunity to do amazing stunts, flips, and awe-inspiring jumps. I mean, who does this? Who does this? Now, brace yourselves. We do. We're Christians. See, most of us are trying to live, you know, all straight-laced, walking down normal walkways and pathways and avoiding walls and difficulties and chasms. I don't want those. I want my life easy. What kind of an athlete are you? You're built for battle. You're built to showcase the power of the kingdom of heaven on this earth. You have to take advantage of these challenges. So, like this guy. I mean, who... Well, he's going to jump over that little gap that doesn't look very like a very big gap right there. So it's like, I could jump over that. Yeah, but most of us aren't thinking of jumping up on top of a, a building and saying, there's a gap I can jump over. You see, we're going to avoid this. Look at this next guy. He runs into a wall. Have you ever run into a wall? This guy's like, a wall. And then he does a little flip on it. See, most of us don't think that. We complain about the wall. It's like, what's there a wall doing here? Hey, God, how did I end up with a brick wall? I thought you wanted me to head this direction. It's like, brick wall, flip. This is the church. <laughs> so for those of, us, those of you that are getting this podcast, it's a whole bunch of parkour guys just flying around. That's us. We're the church. Throw the challenges at us, and we go out in bands and fly around and say, hey, someone film this. That's what these guys are always doing. Someone's always filming. Who's the poor guy that has to film all this? He doesn't get to do the jumping. That's the body of Christ. All of us have a role, right? Someone, so someone's going to need to film this because it's so much fun. The Christian mindset, when you find an obstacle, shout for joy and immediately transform the overcoming of that obstacle into great adventure challenge. So what is your fun overcoming that obstacle? How, did, how come this guy gets all the obstacles? God, could I have a few more obstacles? They live in the best place for obstacles. I live in this boring place over here. You see, if you were to actually have that mindset that the more obstacles that you have, the place with the most obstacles is the best place to live, where are you gonna end up going? You're gonna go to the dangerous edge. You're gonna go where no person would ever go because who is crazy enough to go there? Well, someone who knows how valuable those obstacles are. The suffering for fun principle. Now, some of you have not been convinced yet that suffering could actually be fun. However, did you know that in this life, there are people that suffer for fun all the time? Okay, now, I'm just going to unpack this a little just to warm you up, because this is not an abnormal concept. It's just abnormal in Christianity. It is abnormal for Christians to think this way. It is actually very normal for other people to think this way. Look at this. Now, there's something on the screen right now called adventure camping. Now, we could take off the adventure, and you ask Eric about camping, you're going to hear me mumble and groan and grumble a little. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you're in a tent, right? And you could be in a hotel room, but you're in a tent. 
And there's this rock right there that's like under you. And you're trying to sleep all night long. And you're like, who? And in the middle of the night, usually around two, it feels like it's been about a 40-hour night. And around two in the morning, you look at your watch afresh. And you're, you have the thought, who enjoys this? And there's other people that just love this, right? So Eric could use a little help. But you add adventure into the front of this, and it completely moves it to another level that Eric has never gone before. Look at this picture. Who in their right mind <laughs> wants, to, wants to put a tent, not just on the side of a cliff, on the underside of a cliff? Look how happy that guy is right there. He's smiling, okay? I'm gonna point at this screen and say, Christianity, right there. That's how we live. We find the underside of a cliff and we get a smirk on our face. I could put a tent right there. Rock climbing. Okay, now before we get into extreme free solo rock climbing, which I have some good pictures of, uh, which by the way, has to be one of the stupidest things that any, pe any person on earth has ever done, right? Just rock climbing. Okay, I remember doing some rock climbing and I had to get in this like harness. Okay, now who in the right mind would ever in public wear one of those? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had your rear end going up the side of a hill when everyone on the downside is looking up at it, okay? And had the thought that this is normal, okay? However, you're rock climbing and I mean, it's, I, I don't know, some people think it is extremely fun, okay? And I'm not gonna say it's not, it's just that I was so distracted by the harness, okay? Well, maybe that's why free solo uh, climbing actually came into existence, so they could get out of that crazy thing. But look at this, okay, I thought, I don't know if this is a real picture. My guess is, my guess is it's not, okay, that, but it is a really good picture. For those of you that are seeing, that are just getting this uh, via podcast, this guy is hanging from this cliff's edge over the ocean and a shark is jumping out, what, about three feet from his foot? And so whether or not that's an accurate picture, that is a picture of Christianity right there. And that guy's having fun. I mean, who in their right mind is going to have fun in a situation like that? There's sharks down there. Don't go out to that cliff. That guy sees that cliff. He's like, that's where I want to go. I want to go to the dangerous edge. All right, now, look at this picture. Okay, now, I, that's fun? To this guy, this is fun. Now, how many of us are going to come to the same conclusion? I don't know. Look at that. This is, from what I understand, this guy is on his, uh, he just proposed, or I think he's a fiance, and his, his fiance is taking the picture of him, and she seems to be happy about it, posting it like on Facebook, and there is this guy sort of showing off for his fiance. I, I am stressed out looking at the picture. This guy is having fun, his fiance are having fun. This is how people have looked as, at missionaries throughout history, right here. Are you serious? You're going there? You see, that, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you hang out on the dangerous edge and smile about it? Getting smoked. So I already walked through that. That's the military uh, form of discipline. So I don't, I mean, this, could you, I don't know how long they had to hold that, but don't you get the idea that it wasn't just for one minute? Uh, but this is, this could be, could you imagine an hour like that and, and the burn that is going through it? And yet, this is what people sign up for 
all the time. If you've ever looked at special forces training, it is so extreme and men like itch to have the opportunity to do it. Okay, and you could say, yeah, crazy men, or are they crazy? I have a strange attraction to this. Like, I don't have a strange attraction to the free solo climbing, okay, that, and the, the camping on the side of the cliff. I have trouble with camping in the woods, let alone camp, camping on the side of a cliff. But I do have a strange attraction to, like, boot camp and military training, even getting smoked. That sounds sort of fun to me. I know some of you are like, oh, really? You know, let me teach you a thing or two about that. But at the same time, it gives me a little rush inside. It's like, oh, I love that. I love physical challenge. And so these people sign up for this. It's like, yes, I would like to do that. That reminds me of Shackleton's Adventure. If you guys ever read the book Endurance, great book. So this is a little clip. Now, there's been argument of whether this is true or not, but even if it's not fully true, it is a truth. So Carl Hopkins Elmore in a book called Quit Ye Like Men wrote this. Sir Ernest Shackleton, when he was about to set out on one of his expeditions, printed a statement in the papers to this effect. Men wanted for hazardous journey to the South Pole. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful. <laughs> Honor and recognition in case of success. In speaking of it afterward, he said that so overwhelming was the response to his appeal that it seemed as though all the men of Great Britain were determined to accompany him. You see, this is actually historic Christianity in a nutshell. Hudson Taylor comes back from China and he makes an appeal to the young men of Great Britain. And basically this is what he's saying. Men wanted for hazardous journey to China. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. Earthly, earthly recognition, not in existence. Heavenly recognition, bountiful. And literally some of the strongest men stepped forward and said, I want to go. That's where C.T. Studd even comes from. C.T. Studd was a response character. He's one of my favorite all-time missionaries. He's a response to Hudson Taylor's appeal to go to China. He's going to leave. He was one of the wealthiest men in all of England. And he was the greatest athlete, or arguably one of the greatest athletes in all of the world at the time. So he would have been like the Le LeBron James sort of character in his generation. He is going to leave all athletics, he's going to leave all of his fortune, give it all away, and he's gonna go follow Jesus to China. Who in their right mind would ever do that? You see, you don't wanna be in your right mind. You wanna be in Christ's mind, I guess is a way of saying it. You wanna look at life through his lens. The strange firstborn shadow instinct toward the game. So. Everything you're seeing is a shadow instinct. It's a firstborn. There's two, two births in Christianity. We have our first birth and our natural man. And God says this man is under judgment. And unless this man be born again and we become a new creature in Christ, we cannot have life. But in this natural man, there is an instinct towards the very same thing I'm talking about, which is where this adventure camping comes from, where this free solo climbing comes from. It's where this parkour craziness comes from. It's like, who would want to do that? You see, we have it wired within us, but it's unredeemed. 
And when Christ comes in and changes it, it sort of unlocks the real purpose of it. It's not for our thrill, it's for Christ's glory. And as a result, he takes something that is latent within us and he blows upon it so that it can be used for his glory. God built us to be tried and have our fun while in his service. Here's the motto for you guys. You can start uh, sharing this. Secondborns have more fun. I'm a secondborn, by the way. I, so my, I'm a firstborn male, but secondborn in my family. I have an older sister, right? So I sort of like this phrase, and it, it works spiritually too, because you have to be born again. So I know the firstborn world acts like they're having all the fun. They're the ones boasting with their parties and, you know, their, their big, huge shindigs, their galas and balls. However, we as the secondborns actually have more fun. I know some of you need a little con- more convincing in that one. It's like, I don't know, Christianity, to call it fun? I'm not exactly sure. That's your lens. As far as I'm concerned, my life has so massively increased in its value of appreciation and the dimension of pleasure in becoming a Christian. Not because of fleshly pleasure, but because of spiritual pleasure. Okay, so one of the terms in Scripture is taking it patiently. And so we are called to take our challenges patiently. It's not the term that we would typically think of using. Patience for us isn't that impressive of a term. But patience throughout Christian history is that which the martyrs had. The martyrs throughout Christian history had patience. They were able to endure great difficulty, great pains, and great trials triumphantly. That's patience. And so we are to take our challenges patiently. So I want to have you look at this phrase a little differently. I want you to look at it as that's when you turn it into a game. That's when you learn to smile. That's when you learn to leap for joy. That's when you learn to sing a song when you're, when you're in shackles in a prison. That's what you do right now, Church of Jesus Christ. You don't bemoan it. You don't get frustrated. You don't say, hey, I'm falsely accused. You sing a song. So gamifying every challenge. Walking through difficulty as if it were a sport. Smiling at dangers as if they were a thrill. Recognizing hardships as the ultimate fun. Now some of us, we can see this message and we feel a little distant from it. Like we're waving at it across a large canyon. It's like, yeah, that would be nice. And yet what I want you, instead of just waving at it, I want you to crave it. And I want you to ask God for it. And I want you to handle it like Jacob handled the man of God at Peniel, where he's going to grab a hold of God and he's going to wrestle. And he's not gonna let go until he gets what God has to give him. And that's precisely how I want us to grab a hold of this because many of us have been under the thumb of our challenges. We have been pinned on the mats by our difficulties. We've been flipped by our trials instead of the opposite. You may not be that impressive in your physical stature, but spiritually, you have a greater strength than anything that comes against you. But you have to exercise it. I mean, how miserable it would it be to get to heaven and find out that you had an entire war chest of strength that you could have opened at any point in time and wielded, but you didn't. I still remember this one dream. I had these, Leslie and I had these uh, characters 
named the Fun Guys. That was actually their name. It was some radio show down in California that was, we thought it was a normal radio that was monitored by its normal radio standards, but no, it was an internet radio station that our publisher had connected us with. And they just wanted to mock us. That's all they did. So they wanted to get us on and they wanted to shock us with some extreme thing. They were trying to trick us constantly. So they'd call us acting like a pastor here. I mean, it was, it was a very haunting difficult thing for us to walk through. And I remember thinking, I'm going to need to change my phone number. We can't, I can't handle this anymore. They're calling all the time with different voices. They had people all over the country from different uh, area codes that were calling and recording us and then sticking us on. So we were like a theme on their show is mocking the Ludies. And, you know, not, not what most people consider very fun, right? Fun guys. It wasn't very fun. And so I had this dream. And in this dream, uh, the, I was in my kitchen uh, which is now Mike's kitchen and Donaldson's kitchen. That's, yeah, that kitchen. So you can really envision this, Mike. Uh, and the lights just went out. And I had this sense of fear uh, because I could feel the fun guys, the presence of the fun guys in the room, okay? And I felt like they wanted to destroy me. And, you know, th that can get to you a little, right? But I, so I immediately started feeling for the, uh, what do you, the, the power box, the electrical box. What in the world is that thing called? Uh, Breaker box, yes. I'm re you know where that is, too. It's in that hallway thing. And so I was reaching around in that hallway trying to get to the breaker box, and I flip a breaker, and uh, the lights come on. And when the lights came on and I could see, I, I felt this invigoration of power and authority. This is my house. And I actually knew right where the fun guys were. They were right behind the laundry room door, and they were just sort of like hiding because they recognized the lights were on, they were exposed, and they were trespassing in my property, it's illegal in the United States, at least up to this point, right? And it was in this dream, that, that's the, the way it was. And so I reached out with one arm and grabbed three grown men and they could not move. And I, was, I had like Herculean strength and I carried them out to the front yard and literally stuck them on the lawn and with my other hand called the police. Okay, now every one of us wants to have a dream like that. See, what was actually fearful in the beginning turned into an incredible dream. And it stuck with me so deeply after that, the authority that I have in Christ to silence this voice. And what I need is light. I need the truth on. 1 Peter 2, 19 through 21. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. A spiritual game, a form of inward mind play or mental sport, especially one involving a heaven-minded approach to trials, tribulations, difficulty, and human suffering. Mind play, mental sport. So I'm going to give you six fun spiritual games you can start playing right now. Isn't that fun? I'm going to literally dish out six games that you guys can go into today and start playing. See, most of you just haven't been playing games uh, in your Christianity. Isn't that such a funny sounding thing? You aren't treating it as a sport. You're treating it as something to endure, some challenge to just walk through. See if you can just stand up and not fall over. It's not how you approach this. Could you imagine trying to train for the Olympics that way? If you're training for the Olympics, you're serious. You have an end. You have a goal. You know what you're about. 
So game number one, spiritual Sudoku. The game. You have, been, you have received a doozy of a trial, and the clock is ticking. Oh, isn't this fun already, guys? A great big helping of confusion has been dished out onto your plate. What are you going to do with it? You must apply truth, remove the fog, bring clarity, find wisdom, and solve the problem. How quickly can you see that fog bank cleared and the sharpness of biblical truth reign in the situation? When the smile shows up on your soul, the heavenly judges will know that you have solved the riddle. Now go for it. I don't know if you guys have ever ended up in a fog bank, I'm guessing most of you have, where you just can't see straight. And the enemy's voice is very, very loud. You have a, a confusion around you, a cloud of consternation. This is when the game starts. The clock is ticking. How fast can you get to that biblical truth and turn on the light switch? Flip the breaker and see clearly. You see, that's the game. So in every situation, instead of just falling down to the ground, sucking your thumb in the fetal position, rise up and solve the riddle with the word of God. He has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything you need to solve this spiritual Sudoku problem. Game number two, king of the spiritual hill. So here's the game. The human soul has a hill inside of it. You didn't know that? Whatever attitude holds the high ground wins the day. There's all sorts of attitudes that are trying to get to the top of the hill and control the hill, right? And this is whatever attitude is on the top of the hill is that attitude that you're exuding. So you need to actually win the spiritual or the king of the spiritual hill game. As the game begins, you must first grab hope and joy and rush them to the top of the hill. Then you must hold off the onslaught of competitors. And believe me, they will come in like a flood. Discouragement, frustration, distraction, temptation, and doubt will fly at you and do their best to take you down. But you must hold that hill in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. So you might as well enjoy it, guys. Big smile on your face as you're up there on the top of the hill going boom, boom, boom. Doesn't that sound fun? See, you're like, Eric, you make these things sound like just a lot of fun. I want to go out today and do just that. So that's what I'm hoping, but I, I don't know if I've convinced you. Game number three, spiritual cops and robbers. Oh, this is fun. You are the cop, and all the thoughts that try and steal the focus from the person of Jesus Christ and that attempt to sabotage and sully your mind, these are the robbers. The key to this game is constant alertness because the robbers don't announce they're coming. They are sneaky. They come in through windows and not the front door. They come in the middle of the night and not when you are usually ready and waiting for them. As the cop, you need to become an expert at sniffing out the robber's location and arrest every single one of them before they fulfill their criminal intent. That reminds me of the fun guys. You know, whew, one arm. Other hand, you can hold your cell phone. I and mean, that's how powerful we are as Christians. We have the authority of Christ Jesus. Wield it. Game number four, always epic. There are two players in this game, you and all hell. All hell wants to convince you that your life is nothing. It's meaningless. It's drab. It's a failure. It's incompetent that you should just give up. Your job is to not buy it. And while you are not buying it, you need to add in the epic. There are many ways you can add in this epic. One way is to stoke the flame of truth in your soul by shouting things to yourself like, I am actually a bona fide child of God Almighty. And I am seated in heavenly places in Christ. Whoa! 
Another way to add in this epic is to imagine some epic movie trailer music as a background track to your life, and then imagine a deep, bassy-voiced movie trailer guy saying something akin to, though the world stood against him, he wouldn't back down. I've done this for most of my Christian life, where I have felt very, very small, and the world was against me, and I would always stick in the booming soundtrack behind me. Sometimes I'd actually turn on music, too, and and I would hear that bassy voice as if this was a movie trailer, how would I want to behave in it? Come on, I don't want this movie trailer where it's like, and then the guy faced a trial and then fell over. That's not fun. There's nothing about that. I want to see the hero rise up. And that's why Make It Epic is a critical game in our life. We need to be good at this. The devil wants to make it drab. He wants to make it unimportant. He wants to make us feel as if we are nothing. Give up. You're not making any difference in this world. It's a constant refrain to the Christian. The devil wants to hide the fact that there's a spiritual battle going on. He wants to make you feel small and insignificant and stupid. The fact that you actually think that you're you know, God's child and that you have weapons of warfare that are mighty, the pulling down of strongholds. Ha ha! And then you whip out some of those weapons. And you stick the background movie score on there. You get the deep bassy voice if it's necessary. Some of you may be fine without the deep bassy voice, but hey, it helps me. And you boom out the importance and the significance of one life standing for truth in the midst of darkness. Your life counts. You must know that. And so when the devil tries to take you out and make it insignificant, you boom back and make it epic. Game number five, spiritual parkour. A couple of my uh, kids are very excited about this one. Never, ever waste a good challenge in life. That's what this game is all about. All obstacles are opportunities to do amazing spiritual stunts. Every hurdle supplies a reason to shout with joy. Every impassable gap, an amazing occasion to leap, flip, and float across it in the power, joy, and grace of Jesus Christ. With every trial comes weights that make your spiritual muscles stronger. Don't waste these weights. They are all golden opportunities to grow in Herculean strength. The goal of this game is to see how strong you can get and how much fun you can have doing it. Uh, I'm getting excited about this, guys. Game number six, every part of the buffalo. The game. We all have one shot at this thing called living. How much can we get out of this life for Jesus? How much of it can we utilize for his namesake? How deep of an intimate bond can we cultivate with him while here? How heavenly of an, earth, how heavenly of an earthly love story can we foster with our spouse? It's a funny way of saying it, but it's true. How much can we possibly invest into our children to see them better at this game than even we are? How many people can we win to Christ in the short time we have on this earth? How much can we publish about his majesty that will outlast our lives here on this earth? We have one shot at this thing. Let's maximize it. That's what, I mean, the Native Americans knew how to use every part of the buffalo. Do we know how to use every part of our life? Matthew Henry would get up two hours earlier than what his body thought it should. And he did this almost his entire life. And in that time, he wrote his commentaries. You see, most of us don't have time to write Matthew Henry's commentaries. It's quite a lot of literature. So what would he do? He used every part of the buffalo. He literally got up two hours earlier than his body would even say is possible. 
And he dedicated it to Jesus saying, Jesus, maximize the time I have here on earth. And a man who wasn't even, didn't have time in his day to do something like that actually wrote one of the most powerful commentaries in Christian history. How did, how did he do that? The same way you can. If you give your life to Jesus and say, God, every part of the buffalo. What does it mean to fully live? Does that mean live a long life? You ever thought about that? You know, these people say they, they lived a good life. What does that mean? They lived a good life. Just because they're 94 doesn't mean they lived a good life. What does it mean to be fully alive, to fully live? Does that mean, a, a, mean li, life, li, you lived a life full of things or the checking off of a personal bucket list adventures or the accomplishing of a plethora of achievements? Is that what it means? You know, it's like, oh, I fulfilled my bucket list. I had a good life. Or it's a life full of things. Oh, I have everything I could ever dream of or imagine right at my disposal. Does that make a good life? Is that a life fully alive? Or, here's another option, just in case you're wondering, does it mean living a life of bullseye purpose, where you are literally hitting a bullseye with your life of exactly why you're here, fully engaged in the adventure of God and fully satisfied in his presence? I don't know, I gave you two options there. You see, the world is always leaning towards that upper paragraph. God says, you want to live? Here's how. Mark 8, 34 through 36, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? God's given us the bullseye purpose. You give up everything right now and you're gonna find everything. You see, you give up a lowercase e everything, and you know what you get? A capital E everything. You get God's everything. The inheritance of heaven, by the way, it's a little bigger than anything you could ever whip up down here. I don't care if you are you know, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett multiplied by 10, it doesn't matter. It is nothing compared to the capital E inheritance we have in Christ. You give up the little you have down here, your time, your energies, your resources, your dreams, your ambitions, your things. You say, God, here they are. I want to live life the way you intended me to live. And you will find a version of living so far beyond what the world could give you. The secret, if you give up privileges, liberties, and comforts as a challenge, as a game, or as a fun adventure, then the loss of them doesn't sting. Think about this. You know that people do this all the time? When you go into the military, you know how many young guys are like, I want to go into the military. Well, you do know you're giving up your privileges, your liberties, and your comforts. How about the guys that want to play professional football? You know that you cannot ride, legally ride a mechanical bull if you're a professional football player? It's like, what? Hey, why do I have to give up that? Because you're getting something better? Well, arguably, right? But the point is, if you really want something, in every situation in life, you give up something in order to get something better. However, many of us look at our privileges, our liberties, and our comforts as more valuable than what God's going to give us. So we cling to them, and we argue with God, and we hold on to it, and God says, unless you give up that, you cannot find the capital P, capital L, and capital C version of these things. I have something better for you, but you must relinquish your hold on the smaller, lowercase version. So if you give up privileges, liberties, and comforts as a challenge, as a game, or as a fun adventure, then the loss of them doesn't sting. In fact, to the serious spiritual gamer, 
The absence of those pleasures can immediately transform into the presence of a fun-filled and adventure-laden obstacle course. Have you ever even thought about the word obstacle course? I love obstacle courses. Isn't that a funny statement? I love having difficult things put in front of me that I have to overcome. That's a weird statement. Well, then why don't I apply that to my Christianity? Because that's what Christianity is. It's like mountains in front of you. You're like, I believe in Jesus. And the devil goes, oh, do you? Sticks, obstacles right in front of you. What we need to do is say, thank you. Boy, this is a free obstacle course. I didn't even have to pay for this. We have exercise equipment donated to us by the devil. Mark 8, 34, and he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Uh, take up my cross. It's a symbol of pain, suffering, and challenge. Yeah, that's, that's what you look for in this game. Yeah, you got one. I gave you all that you need. I'm gonna give you plenty of suffering, plenty of trials, plenty of difficulties so that you can do this with me. You see, we're supposed to do this, to follow him where he's going. He's like, don't you wanna come this way? Pick up that cross. Deny yourself. We're gonna have some fun. I am no longer here to enjoy myself. So that's a first life. But we're second born. Remember second borns have more fun? We're second born. I am here to enjoy him. Firstborn thought, I am no longer here to play the game of long life and happiness. I'm here to play a different game. I'm here to play the game of reach them. Reach them all for Jesus. It's a fun game. Firstborn th thinking, I am no longer spending my emotional energy trying to appease the approval, the approval mandate of the world. Second born thinking. I am spending my emotional energy caring, caring about the welfare of the countless lost and dying about me. Firstborn thinking. The dangerous edge is no longer the last place on earth I would want to be. Think about that. When I talk about the dangerous edge, we're like, yeah, that's the last place on earth I would want to be. Well, how does a Christian think? The dangerous edge is now the very place I most desire to be sent. God, why do they get to be sent to the dangerous edge? What about me? Could you imagine how hard it is? Eric, I want you here in the United States. What? Hey, come on, God. Consider me for the parkour obstacle course in New Delhi. Consider me for the parkour obstacle in North Korea. Even as I say it, I, I find my firstborn tendencies spike a little. You see, this is the thinking I want us all to have as Christians. Let's just finish with a meditation. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 8, we are grieved by many trials, and yet we greatly rejoice. We rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We are reviled, persecuted, and falsely accused, and yet blessed are we. Let us rejoice and be exceeding glad. We are partakers of Christ's sufferings, and yet we may be glad with exceeding joy. We endure, we endure in tribulations, and yet we, in, we are exceeding joyful. We face trials and testings, and yet we count it all joy. Father, We want to grab a hold of you the way Jacob did. And we say, Lord, you have something we need. It's called the mind of Christ. We need to see that cultivated and unlocked in us. That we would have your attitude in us. We would have your thoughts, your mind, your thinking patterns. Lord, that we would be able to smile and to sing and to rejoice and to leap in the darkest hour, in the darkest places, on the dangerous edge. Lord, acquaint us with this. 
We crave it, Lord Jesus. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.